I invite you to pray with me. God, we ask that you would open our ears and open our hearts to be able to listen to a bit of your truth and to hear what you might require from us this morning. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. I um, was thinking about this passage and particularly some of the travels I've done in the past year and a half. And one of the things I noticed is just how different, um, well, really, for many years, this idea of uh, the workers at the end of the day kind of lining up to get their wages and the landowner starting at the end of the line rather than the beginning of the line. And, um, of course, I call them lines, cues, whatever you might call them. When I was in England in the U.K. last year, I suddenly realized, you know, just how important queuing is. Um, <laughs> it's a national pastime. <laughs> I didn't realize how, in, how seriously people took it over there. Uh, I remember a few times wanting to get away from my study and do some touristy things and um, thinking that I could just rock up to a certain museum or castle or something and uh, encountering a line that snaked halfway across the neighborhood. Um, in particular, I was trying to get into the British Museum to see one of the exhibits there. And I went there one day just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm in the area, so I'll, I'll get on the tube and I'll, I'll drop by. And, of course, the line in the middle of the summer sun was just, it had to be hours long. And there were people there from all over the world who were just happy to be there, happy to be in that line. And I thought, I'm not going to queue for this. And then I discovered that they had booked tickets, uh, timed tickets, right? And you probably know this. And so I got on my phone and I booked a time ticket for a few weeks later. And I said, I'll come back, you know. And, uh, and so I booked an early time right when the museum was open. I said, I'll get there an hour early. I've got to be at the front of the line. I got there an hour early. I was literally the person on just the other side of the turn of the block. <laughs> uh, and I said, I walked up to the, the manager of the, of the gate and I said, um, where is the... Where's the entry for people with tickets? <laughs> he pointed at the queue and said, that's the tickets line. Like, oh, okay. Um, and of course in Japan, Japan makes standing in a line uh, a national pastime as well. Um, particularly visits to the immigration office were always memorable where I would have to um, wait in line to submit my, my immigration paperwork to have my visa renewed. And that was a whole five-minute interaction with a public service worker, with a civil servant. And I remember one time, you know, it wasn't an easy place to get to. There was only one office in Tokyo, in metropolitan Tokyo. And um, I would have to take a train to Shinagawa, and then I'd have to take a bus, and then I'd have to stand in the line, and you'd get a ticket, a, a number, um, like you do when you kind of go to the deli, you know? I'm number 24. And I remember one time uh, when I went there, and my number was 675. And I thought to my, and I looked it up at now serving, and it was like 127. I said, I'm going to be here all day. And indeed, I spent about eight hours in the waiting room just waiting for them to call that number and me to turn in my paperwork and for them to give me a stamped receipt for it and then said, come back in four weeks to pick up your visa. <laughs> Which, again, you have to do the same dance to get the same ticket to stand in line. How wonderful it would have been if the manager would have come out and said, today, ladies and gentlemen, we are reorienting things. We are starting with number 675, just to shake things up. But alas, that wasn't the case. 
The story that we read this morning or we hear this morning in the Gospels is a parable that Jesus tells. And whenever we hear parables, whenever we hear Jesus say the words, the kingdom of heaven is like, that's a cue for you to buckle up and listen because you're going to go for a ride. Jesus is going to take your imagination on a ride because it's always in response to a request and he never answers the request directly. He tells the parable as a way of really... um, kind of challenging the question to begin with. And one of the cornerstones that Jesus is trying to challenge in this passage, which we think is a modern invention, but it's actually something that's quite ancient, is the idea of meritocracy, right? Meritocracy being this idea that we organize our society around merit, around achievement, around hard work. Um, And of course, meritocracy is much better than things like um, aristocracy, where people get ahead because they're born into certain families or they have certain last names or whatever. And we could you know, maybe say something to the American political system about who gets into the White House and whether that's true or not. Um, but the idea of meritocracy is one that we're all dependent on, right? It's the idea that you can tell your children when they're little, if you work hard and you do well in school and you get a good job, you can make something out of your life. And we take for granted that for many people in the world and for many people throughout history, they haven't lived in systems that are like that, right? And of course, here in New Zealand, we have this sense of Kiwi egalitarianism, that we want to be treated the same, and we want to to make sure that others are treated equally, that we all have equal opportunity and chances, and that we're all kind of, we stand together as one nation. That's really an important value that I've learned in being here over a decade is how much egalitarianism matters in New Zealand, right? Um, And that there is this sense cooked into that that those who do work hard should be rewarded. They should be rewarded in certain ways. Whenever you encounter these stories, Jesus telling these stories that seem to disconcert us, it's always good. I always ask myself the question, what's happening here? Because when we read this story in isolation, it can be disconcerting, but oftentimes Jesus is trying to say something to certain people for a certain reason, and it's always important to think about what are the contextual clues of this story, right? Every text has a context. And the context of this story, what comes before and what comes after it, is a bit of jockeying for power, right? It's kind of the, the ugly side of meritocracy, right? So in chapter 19 of Matthew, Peter, at the very end, he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, we've been following you for a number of years now, and you're talking about dying, and I'm just wondering, what kind of reward am I going to get for leaving my nets and leaving my family and leaving my friends and leaving my village? And What am I going to get? What kind of rewards are we, your disciples, who have been following you around in the towns and the villages and the hinterlands, how are you going to reward us in the kingdom to come? And Jesus says, oh, there's going to be 12 thrones. And, and, and Peter starts thinking, hmm, I wonder if I'll have one of those thrones. And then directly after this passage, uh, there's um, uh, the mother of James and John, two other disciples, comes to Jesus and tries to make a case to Jesus for why her sons should also receive special privilege, why they should be seated at the right and the left side of Jesus in the world to come. And Jesus politely and but firmly lets her know that she has no idea what she's talking about. And so this story sits right there in between these stories of disciples jockeying for position in Jesus's administration. 
right? They want cabinet positions, and they want good portfolios. And so Jesus tells this story, and that's the context of why Jesus would tell the story. So in that context, it completely makes sense. Because what Jesus is trying to say is that in the kingdom of God, our logics of meritocracy, the way that we organize ourselves as human beings and all of the flawed things that come with that, they just don't work in the kingdom of God. That's not God's logic. God does not um, give us rewards based on how hard we work. We don't earn salvation. We don't earn grace. We don't earn God's love. God gives these things because it's in God's nature to be generous and to give them. We know that life isn't always fair. We know that in the fishbowl of our lives, there are many instances when we find ourselves not at the front of the line because we've worked hard to make sure that we got up early to be there, but for some reason, life has knocked us back to the end, to the end of the line. In whatever venue that might be, in whatever circumstance of life that might be, it might be in relation to our health, it might be in relation to getting treatment, it might be in relation to um, not feeling first in the eyes of those that we should feel first in, our children, our parents, our grandparents, uh, our supervisors, our bosses at work. So many ways in which this story speaks to us. We've worked hard and yet it seems like we haven't been given what we deserve. The landowner in this story that Jesus goes out of his way is to say is a man, and so we be careful to think that it's God in the story, is a man who's a landowner goes out to the market and he hires some people to pick his grapes at 9 o'clock. And then he goes back at 12 and he hires some more people. And he goes back at 3 and he hires some more people. And he goes back at 5 and he hires some more people. And it seems like the thing he's most concerned about is not whether his grapes get picked, but he's utterly concerned that people are standing by idle. He doesn't like the idea that people are in the marketplace standing by idle with nothing to do, with no purpose, with nothing to do with their hands. And he's got resources, and so he says, I'll give them jobs. Right? And when the people finish their day, and those who come at the very beginning and have worked long, hard hours and picked grapes and they're by the sweat of their brow, and they've got their hand out, and they get one Daenerys in the same way that the people who came at 5 o'clock get one Daenerys, I have to say that I completely understand how bent out of shape they might be for saying, wait a minute, I've worked back-breaking work all day long, and you're going to be, this doesn't seem fair. One of the most obnoxious things about God, some people would say, is just how generous and merciful 